0: Hi, Wanderers. I'm Ethan. How are you? Wonder Feasts have arrived, and we are so, so excited. We're bringing together our favourite chefs, restaurants, and culinary magicians in the fields this December. Today, I had the chance to speak to one of those chefs who will be dishing up sustainable fare in the fields, Chef DK of Halma here in Bangkok. Halma is a self-sufficient restaurant that champions urban farming and sustainable food management. The food this low-impact kitchen produces is incredible, and Chef DK was more than willing to explain to us why.
1: What does Haoma mean?
2: Bro, uh, Haoma in uh, Zoroastrian uh, mythology, or which, uh, which is actually all Zoroastrians later moved to India, and it was a community in India called the Parsis. The Zoroastrian mythology has a plant which gives the election of the plan gives lifelessness to nature and uh the reason why i named haoma uh, my restaurant haoma was that i was at the swan bhumi airport and when you pass immigration and you enter the duty-free area you have the the huge structure of the gods and the demons churning the ocean with a snake in the middle they are churning it for the election of haoma so if the gods or the devils in the hindu mythology drank haoma they would live lifelessly so haoma came around uh, Uh, with the idea of uh, creating something creating an oasis of lifelessness in the city center Oh, all right. And what does it mean to you? For me, homer is life, mate. Uh, I, uh, when I moved into this house, I was just living here and uh, it had no plants. It was just uh, another uh, bungalow in the back of uh, Bangkok. And since I've been here, I planted 11,000 plants here. I conserve over 50,000 liters of rainwater. I grow 2,000 fish on the premises of the restaurant. That helped me grow 30 different species of plants. I recently last week added a bee hotel to my rest to my restaurant so nice. now we are making all of our bees and you know what bees mean they mean biodiversity so my idea i, I look at a larger picture i'm not going to crap you about zero waste and plastic free bullshit i'm looking at uh, i'm looking at increasing the biodiversity of the place i am in so how did we get here how did we get here beautiful i was just 17 years old i went to culinary school and my first training was at a lead which is leadership in energy and environment development hotel called itc Moria luxury collection hotel and uh, they were 100 percent carbon footprint free in a city like new delhi they were recycling all of their water they were recycling all of their solid waste they were offsetting no carbon footprint and I thought to myself that if I grow up and God blesses me the opportunity of starting my own business it would be with that ethos and I'm in a city where plastic is synonymous with breath so I it it does not demotivate me from being who I want to be and what I really think about my environment. I don't sit behind a microphone and scream about it and uh, I'm not 16 years old, pretty Swedish girl, but I I, uh, really make a difference and that's what I think drives me and all of my 32 employees. And how did you get from that vision and that belief
1: and that experience to actually practically creating it I mean we're sitting just around the corner here in this room from as you're saying a, an urban a garden in an urban setting that is effectively supplying an entire restaurant service how did you how did you come to come from okay this zero carbon environment to your own business that can sustain that
2: uh, absolutely so uh, when I uh, when I quit my job as the executive chef of the Fraser Hotel in soy 11 I started a food truck and I that was how how I first came to Wonderfruit. I was gonna ask. That's great. you could Go for it. Yeah. So I first came to Wonderfruit, and I had just around the corner built my food truck, and it was just 20 days old when I when I did come to Wonderfruit, and uh, that's how I know Jane. And I came, and I then travelled from my food in my food truck after that for around seven months, all across Thailand, and uh, I took my food truck into Cambodia. I went to Angkor, and that food truck was run on CNG, which is compressed natural gas, and I had a grey water tank where I would conserve all of the water that would be from the truck and then I would spray that on plants that were in the nearby areas for where I would park the truck so my ethos started that small and then I made a decent amount of money and I started uh, all organic all natural health food product which is called NutriChef doing fantastic today and once a slave of fine dining is always a slave, say a slave of fine dining they say and then, the, then uh, with the help of NutriChef and my current business partner who is also my best we decided that we needed to create an oasis. We needed to create something that people could look at. We needed to create something that was stationary and growing at the same time. We wanted to bring all of our, all of that kinetic energy in our minds, in our heart into a potential Potential energy spot where it would be constant, and how it happened, and uh, it was just—you uh, would be surprised how I found this house. Was I was just walking around and on a motorbike looking for a shop house where I could move Chef to from a small little shop in uh, Huequang and uh, I came across this house. And outside on the main gate, it said "to let," and it had a phone number. And I called that number, and that number said hello in Indian accent and I started talking in Hindi therefore the owner of this house is Indian and he loved my ideology he came here as a 26 year old child himself who owns all of these properties now and uh, that's how Halma happened in this place man.
1: So if we can talk about the obviously your heritage and that of the owner of the property that now is Halma, what does Neo-Indian
2: mean? Bro, Neo-Indian is an ethnographic movement of the Neo-Indian child like myself who have left the realms of our homes. However, we haven't let go of our roots. We have adopted modernism, but having these tattoos on my hand doesn't mean that I don't wake up in the morning and pray to the God that I believe in. And uh, it doesn't mean that I don't don't call my mom and dad every once in a while and talk to them as respectfully as I would. And uh, it doesn't mean that I... Uh, It means that I can fly business class and go home and still sit on the floor and eat dal chava, which is lentils and rice that is cooked in each one of our households. So neo-Indian is basically the idea. It's it's basically an 8,000-year-old culture that has modernized itself today, Uh, the Indian culture. However, uh, we do not let go of our roots. We just modernized our being without letting go of our soul. So do you identify then as part of the diaspora? Absolutely, I do identify it as the part of the diaspora.
1: Yeah, yes. interesting. And how, how many adherents do you think you have to this? It, it,
2: I don't know, is this is this a term that you have uh, come up with or is this something that you adhere to? No, uh, there is no other neo-Indian restaurant. Right. <laughs> this is a term I've come up with because I uh, personally believe that my food reflects that. If you look at the food that I do, uh, f- my food reflects pre-colonial culture. So most thing that the British with the East India Company called India. However, the Dutch, the French, and the Portuguese also had several colonies of India. The last colony that was given away uh, back to the Indian constitution was in 1972, the city of Pondicherry by the French. So just around 50 years ago, we had strong influences of European culture into our society. However, I personally feel that influences are not a mandate on a man's Existence. Uh, I can step back and go to what my fa- how my forefathers lived, how how my grandparents parents lived in pre-colonial existences, and I can adapt that without letting go of my modernism. I don't have to drip a saffron cloth around my neck to be able to be called Indian. So uh, I, that is how I to- coined the term neo-Indian because this is exactly what my food is. My food is food like some of the recipes I, I cook, age back to. Four hundred years ago, six hundred years ago, and I've just—I'll uh, give you a fun fact that the French colony of Pondicherry did this soup that I cook in my restaurant right now, called Bay, which is the mother of the French Boyabe. All right. Okay. Boyabes. Yeah. Yes. So, if we can talk
1: about your sustainability practice yes. and how that is incorporated in your kitchen. Yes what does it mean and what is the role of of the low impact process what, what does it mean to everybody in your kitchen and to the process that you take
2: uh most importantly uh, bro what i feel in is that the first step that i took here and i worked in several five-star hotel kitchens and top kitchens in india and in Thailand, i uh, realized that the 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 people in the kitchens, you could drive them. And how you drive them, it depends on the executive chef, right? You could either drive them to deliver a new dish every week or you could drive them on how they could convert your waste into something edible. So one of the most important things that my sous chef has given me in the two and a half years of working with me is that he converted my my waste of the kitchen we call it wow this this program in our kitchen we call it wow wealth of waste so he converted the organic waste peels of carrots stems of broccoli stems of cauliflowers peels of 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 uh, potatoes for example all of the rotten eggs we mix them all up bake them, turn them into pellets and feed that to our fish that grow in the restaurant and uh, that is a strong sustainability element coming out of my kitchen and I'm not looking at, like people are saying, oh, great sustainability effort is fermentation or oh, great sustainability element is pickling absolutely not my school of thought I believe that great great uh, sustainability practice is composting, I turn all of my waste that the fish don't eat into compost and 10 kilos of compost I can grow a 100 kilos of kale in there instead of using that 10 kilos of waste and just fermenting it which half of the world does not like the fermented flavors so uh, what have i contributed to in my sustainability practice number one is this waste management and i have a bottom-up approach not a top bottom i don't look at how many kilos of waste is coming are going out of my kitchen i'm looking at how much plastic is coming in Mm. and i'm looking at am i going to buy a certain vegetable and only use the floret in the center because it looks beautiful on my plate? No. Am I going to take my waist and make it look gorgeous? Yes. But with that said, I mean, it's still fine
1: dining. I yes. mean, in the in the very clear description of such, the presentation here is, is exquisite. I've, yes. I've, I've dined here. Yes. Wonder is listening. I have dined here. It is absolutely exquisite. So there is a lot of this practice that clearly hasn't, it's not necessarily shown on the plate. So how do you express it in other ways? How do you ensure that everybody the walks in the door here and sits down for a fantastic meal at Homer gets that message
2: yes so uh, it's very uh, how we do this is that the first thing you do when you come to the restaurant today is you're taken to the garden you are shown uh, what we uh, well, how what the ethos of this restaurant is and how we do it next is now I have this dish in the in in my menu called how am I in a bite where every single element of that dish comes from the premises of this restaurant so we have the dish comprises of the first layer of the fish that grows here in the second layer we compress the chlorophyll from seven different herbs and that makes into a jelly. Then we thought to ourselves that there's something missing in here and that needed to be a crunch. So everything that dies here, that is the plants that don't do well, branches that fall off, we turn all of that into a kombucha and then we turn the scooby of that kombucha into a crisp and the, we make that the crunch of the dish. So everything that grows here, we compress that into one single bite and to eat that bite, you have to go and stand in the middle of the urban farm. That's yeah. amazing. Yes. And who has followed your lead? And if they haven't, who should be following your lead? Bro, uh, to be honest, I'll be blatantly honest with you. In the first year when I started this project, I was just another 27-year-old who needed to be heard, and now I don't. I've come to that stage of self-sufficiency in my life, where what I'm doing right now, and with the blessing of God, I only believe that that my God's watching and what I'm doing, and I, I will bear the fruit of my of my labor one day when he fits, it's right. But do I need somebody to come to my door and, and, and blow the bugle? I'm not really seeking that. Who am I doing this for? I'm doing this for myself. Call me selfish. I'm saving the environment for myself and my children that I'll have someday. And, and then the girl I'm going to marry and the parents who, who gave birth to me. I'm just trying to save the environment from them. Nobody else because if nobody really wakes up, who am I to wake them up? Your practice requires a real
1: laser focus on seasonality yes right everything as you say everything that's grown on site I mean ultimately we even in a country like Thailand where yes. we say there are no seasons we do have seasons that come through yes, what are uh, the challenges that using seasonal ingredients present
2: to Haoma and to yourself uh, before we start on that I would like to tell you about the three seasons that we undergo here at Haoma Please. the seasons are called uh, summer summer and very hot summer so <laughs> <laughs> I always describe it as uh, when people ask about seasons I say we have blue sky gray sky and brown sky <laughs>
1: those are the three right. seasons
2: and so, you can get them all in one week yes <laughs> so uh, at home uh, seasonality is super important to us because we work with a farm in Chiang Mai called the Green Garden Farm and we also work with other suppliers that work with us you'd see if you go to our Instagram or you go to our Facebook you will see us doing a lot of videos to grace some awareness about that how I first came to this I would like to reiterate to that and speak about it that when I was working for the luxury collection hotels I was a junior sous chef I would go to the receiving department where most of the produce would come in and there would be this giant board or in the department where there would be the carrots that come in should look like this the cauliflowers that come in should look like this the what comes in should look like this even when you go to a to a talat or a supermarket if a leaf has a certain a few holes in it you don't consume them however the leaves have hole on them because the cat- caterpillar ate it and if there was chemical on it the caterpillar wouldn't eat it so that means it was chemical free so we in our minds have gone to such extents of visual appeal that we have defied our own reality so we are now when we are working with seasons the chefs are creating menus first and then asking their purchase department to go find the vegetables and meats and seafood for them however we don't do that in in Haoma we ask our suppliers that we are going to do a new menu in november what is it what is going to be available and then we put it up on a chart like this right next to you you see we have our own practices we put it up on the wall like this and then we start writing it down on a bottom-up approach on natural menu development okay this month we're going to get tomatoes we're going to get chicken we're going to get pineapple we're going to get Uh, We're going to get onions, we're going to get, say, 10 other ingredients like that. And then all of us from the kitchen, seven of us, we sit down here and we're like, five different ways you can use this tomato in, 10 different ways you can use the chicken in. And that's how we break down our menu. And the best elements that come out of that, we work on that. We, every single day, in every single time we make the menu, there are multiple decisions i might I must take decisions of textures, decisions of taste, decisions of appeal, visual appeal. However, the decision I choose is the sustainable one
1: That's amazing yes. so Hama has been described as plant focused plant yes. forward These are terms that are often bandied about when described. What are the challenges uh, sorry uh, what roles
2: do meat, fish, and seafood play in your menu? Uh, fish and seafood play it just as much role as plants play in my menu. I uh, do a vegetarian menu, a plant-based centric menu. However, uh, we have a complete... Uh, uh, protein a non-vegetarian protein-based menu as well. So we do a 13-course tasting menu which is based on different produce that we can get available and then we have an exact parallel 13-course vegetarian menu on the side. So if there is a perception in the listener's mind that it's a vegetarian plant-based centric restaurant, we are not. Uh, do we put a lot of focus on plant-based? Yes, because it is super easy to sprinkle a little bit of salt on a veggie and grill it on both sides for one minute each and eat it it, rather than doing the same with the kale mm-hmm. so yes we put a lot of effort in making our plant-based dishes even more delicious than we do on our uh, non-vegetarian protein-based dishes. Do you believe we're heading towards a post-meat future? I think we are heading towards a post-meat future. We are actually, which is not a trend, this is traditions. Back in the day when we would sit on, so I come from a household where there's a temple in the house. Mm. I must tell you this. So my grandfather and my grandmother, my parents are all pure vegetarians and they're pure vegetarians not because of the reason that they don't like eating meat but my grandfather used to say that back in the day uh, or uh, when they were younger all plants and all vegetables could be held in these two hands and could be eaten directly raw however meats needed to be processed and eaten with a cutlery so god did not intend you to eat meats just as largely as he intended you to eat plant-based and going back to them is definitely not trendy it's just going back to our traditions man and just like i say for organic and sustainable practices our parents your parents my parents never eat vegetables ate vegetables with chemicals in them this is uh, eating organic is not trendy i don't know why we're being charged so much money for organic produce on a shelf these days Whereas it should be cheaper because pesticides cost more to put in there, and all you need to do for organic produce is be a little bit more vigilant. So, uh, it, this is so trendy right now, and in yeah. the name of trend and marketing, they make so much money and they deprive children, they deprive us, they deprive our parents of eating clean, which is our right, and that is what I propagate here. And how you come here with true love and honesty I'm going to create you a meal of care which is going to be antibiotic and anti-pesticide whether it's meats whether it's seafood whether it's vegetable that's my ethos with love and care and that's how I base all of my menu and that's how I base all of my wine list when you come to my restaurant and you ask for wines my sommelier will never speak to you about what grape you're having what minerals are in there what terroir it comes from not at all we talk about only three things we talk about who the farmer is, what his story is, and did he love his land. So if he loved his land, he wouldn't put chemicals in it, so it's mm. biodynamic and sustainable wines. What his story is, is he as cool as us? If he's as cool as us, he should be on our menu. <laughs> <laughs> and how has the response been? I mean, you've been sitting here for not a terribly long time
1: now, Halma, but you've
2: it's certainly... Been two years, and uh, man, uh, God is kind. Uh, I haven't sold my liver or my kidneys yet to pay the salary, so we're doing pretty well. Uh, we, we see busy nights every, every week. We have our slow nights, but that's how businesses are. I'm not going to say that people are stalking outside our door we're not but uh, we're doing well and what we personally believe in is that we have today created the prototype of the restaurant of the future that is how i look at it and all of these elements take a while to come together however five years down the line when 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 the government start putting a foot down on this stuff and people are like All restaurants should grow their own produce. All restaurants should use sustainable produce. They'd be like, hey, that kid in Sukhumi 31, he started that five years ago.
1: I would would start signing that book deal now, man. (laughs) Chef DK, thank you so much for your time. See you in the fields.
2: Thank you very
0: much. There are plenty more feasts and eats where that came from. Get all the details you could possibly want at our website www.wonderfruit.co That's www.wonderfruit.co Stay in touch and stay tuned for even more Wondercasts. Talk soon.